0: It's interesting, the, uh, the New City Catechism uh, question that we read today is very uh, tied into what I want to share with you today, uh, but it is a pleasure to be here. Um, the, the FAQ that I'm trying to answer today is how do we deal with recurrent sin? Um, there's a simple answer to that. You just stop it, right? All right, sermon's over. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, you know, whoever submitted that, uh, that question to the pastors and to the staff uh, probably had something more in mind as they were asking that question. And so what I tried to do as I prepared for this message is uh, I try to come up with my own FAQs to this FAQ. And hopefully one of my FAQs to this FAQ will be the FAQ that you were actually originally wanting to to know about. And maybe one of those answers will will help you. So the first FAQ that I came up with was am I to make a distinction between recurrent sin and once-in-a-while sin? Am I to make a distinction between those two? Recurrent sin and once-in-a-while sin? And the answer, as I've been kind of reading and preparing for the message today is, sinning less won't save you. And let me try to explain that. Um, in the New City Catechism that we read today, we talked, we, we, we read about Adam and Eve. And if you have read Genesis, um, Adam and Eve, because they originally fell in the garden, uh, they started a perpetual uh, inheritance of sin for all their offspring, that includes you and me. So we can't avoid it, we're just born with it. We're born with this sin nature. And it won't go away until Jesus comes back. And this is total depravity. And to refresh your memories about what total depravity is, it it doesn't mean that you're incapable of doing good things. It just means that everything about ourselves is tainted. Our bodies are tainted, our mind is tainted, our will is tainted, our emotions are tainted, everything is tainted about us. So what happens when you have a perfectly holy God who cannot tolerate taintedness, not even an ounce of it? What do you do? well you can 't get to heaven <laughs> with uh, if his standard is perfect holiness no one no one can get there and, and i 'm going to try to Uh, trying to explain this a little bit more by going back to the Gospels. When we read the Gospels, um, you come across these teachers of the law uh, and these religious leaders called the Pharisees. Now, these Pharisees were pretty cocky people. Why? Because as they tried to follow the law religiously, they thought that they were doing a pretty good job of it. And because they were doing a a good job of it, they thought that they were Uh, pretty acceptable. Uh, Why wouldn't God accept us? Because we are non-sinners. So, um, they essentially had the least amount of recurrent sin, as we tie that back to our theme today. They had the least amount of recurrent sin, perfect attendance at church. Um, They gave more offering than, than than your typical person. They didn't use foul language, they didn't get drunk, they didn't have fornication, all that kind of stuff. Like this, you name it. They they were pretty good at following the law. Almost impeccable. But I'm going to use an illustration to show why it's difficult to make this distinction between recurrent sin and and once in a while sin. Okay. So, if you see this tape measure, this metal casing might represent God's perfect standard of holiness. Okay? And this is the standard. And the Pharisees, as they tried to follow the law and they did a really good job at it, they thought they were right around there. Okay? Really close. If this is like the end, this is where like the the, the 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 dregs of humanity are. They're here, right next to God's holiness. And those who do, do recurrent sin, they're more like me. I don't know. Maybe over here. And maybe this part is reserved for like Hitler. You Right? <laughs> or you know, whoever, Genghis Khan, whoever, right? So those would just you know, do mass destruction. So here I am and recurrent sinners are over here, the Pharisees are over here, and here is God's holiness. Um, I don't know, maybe you feel this way. Maybe you feel, maybe you feel that you're here. I don't know. Maybe you feel like you're with me over here, but whatever the case, um, you, know, you might feel like you just can't stop sinning. Jesus comes to the scene and he says you, you got another thing coming. <laughs> um, I'm going to set the record straight for all of you. The standard of God's holiness cannot be met by following rules as good as you can. It cannot be met by avoiding sin more than the next person. It cannot be met by getting better at sin every single year. At, at, at avoiding sin every single year. His standard is so um, scrutinizing that he looks into the heart, not just your behaviors. The Pharisees are pretty good at their behaviors, but he's basically saying, I'm looking straight into your heart. I know what you think about. I know the impure thoughts. I know the, the, the rage that you have against your fellow brother or sister. I know that you feel that you're superior to other people. I see you not trusting God 24 7. And He really means it 24 7. That's the kind of standard that you need to have to be matched up with Him. So, you Pharisees think that you're close to this standard when, in fact, I can go on and on to not only the end of our galaxy, but to the farthest reaches of the galaxy. That's pretty much how far you are. You think you're that close to me, but you're not. So the point I wanna make about this particular FAQ is, am I to make a distinction between recurrent sin and once in a while sin? And Jesus is saying, look, Whether you do recurrent sin or once in a while sin, it's all the same to me, in a sense. Does he like recurrent sin? No. But as far as his holiness is concerned, it's like this. Way over there. And Christ, the triune God, is way over here. Okay. Next FAQ. Oh, I skipped ahead too fast. In our first scripture text, um, I want you to hear, as Paul comes to grips with this reality, I want you to hear the despair in Paul's, uh, Paul's words. So if you go to our first scripture, which is Romans chapter 7, we we're going to start with verse 21. This is what Paul says. Romans chapter 7, verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, Evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Let's pause there. Paul, even as an apostle, someone who came face-to-face with Christ, someone who was inspired and commissioned by the Holy Spirit to give us instruction, couldn't meet Jesus' standard. Jesus' standard, if you will recall, he says to the people, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Paul says, there's no way I can do that. Absolutely no way. So who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Who in the world is good enough? Who can be approved? So the question again is, am I to make a distinction? And the answer is, sinning less won't save you. It's not even, it's not even going to earn you brownie points. Not when it comes to the holy standard of God. So here's a, here's a second FAQ. Will God judge me, punish me, hate me, think less of me, disown me for my recurrent sin? And the answer is no. These awful consequences were given to Christ. And instead, we will be given a righteous standing, even as we recurrently sin. When Paul, in his despair at his own recurring sin, asks who will deliver me from this body of death, he answers his own question. And I recommend that we do the same. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why? Because if you read on, Romans chapter eight, starting with verse one, this is what Paul continues. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So some theologians call this double uh, imputation. And so if you see this tape tape measure again, I I really stretched this out, didn't I? Okay. Let me reduce this a little bit just so I can manage it a little bit better. But again, this is like Pluto, okay, okay, so if Christ, this is Christ, okay, if Christ is at the casing, if Christ is one with the triune God at the casing, and he sees what's happening over there, people squabbling over who's better, who's less of a sinner, all that kind of stuff, he's over, he's over, way over here at the, at the perfect standard of righteousness and holiness, by taking on human flesh, he decides to leave this there and walk all the way over here. Am I out of the? Am I out of the camera here? <laughs> okay. And he decides to become the dreg of humanity. And what happens is the first imputation. We, called about, we talked about the double imputation. The first of the double imputation is that. He takes on our sin upon him, okay? This is what we deserved, he takes it upon himself, and the double imputation is that he takes our sins when we believe upon him, he imputes it upon himself, or he he imputes that upon us, and now his righteousness is imputed upon us, penalty paid, no double jeopardy, no prosecution for the same offense twice. We will not be tried again. Why? Because the first trial already happened and Jesus was found guilty and we were found innocent. Does that make sense? No. Why would he do that? There's no other answer other than love. But that's what he did. That's what the scriptures tell us. That's what the good news is. We did nothing to deserve this, but because this is what he did and he imputed his righteousness upon us, we are now at the casing. So, this is the reason why there's no double jeopardy. You can't be tried anymore because there's nothing to prosecute anymore. Even if you recurrently sin, your standing is still here. Does it make sense? No. But that's what the good news is. And that's why he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we all know that on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, and he didn't stay there. He came back to the casing, and there he will wait until the, 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 the time is right, the final day, when he will take all of us with him. The Holy Spirit has sealed us, made sure that our salvation is guaranteed, and we will spend eternity with him forever. If our recurring sins, this is, this is the next FAQ, if our recurring sins are paid for in full, is it okay to keep sinning? If our Recurring sins are paid in full. Is it okay to keep on sinning? The answer to this one is quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. It's not okay to keep on sinning. But not in a salvation sense. Not in a what if I get punished by him sense. It's more, of, it's more like this. when we encounter Christ in such a way that we understand what he has saved us from, and when we intentionally abide in him, we start to get to know him. We start to get to know his ways, his heart. We, we, we understand how he views sin as well. And so what happens is, when we abide in Christ, we start seeing more clearly what sin is and what sin does. It's no longer something that like, wow, oh, why can't just God just leave me alone so I can have a good time? It's, oh my God, sin is that ugly? Sin is that destructive? Sin is that heinous to him? And so, like an athlete, and I'll get to this scripture, like an athlete, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to, we're supposed to train hard to keep things from hindering us from winning the race. Okay, so let, let's go to our second passage. First Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter nine, starting verse 24. Paul says this: "Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable wreath. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. So when Jesus saves us and he gives us his righteousness, he also gives us new eyes to see. He gives us a new mission in life. Things like sharing the good news, things like being his ministers of mercy. When we abide in Christ and we have these eyes to see, we find in God's word that marriage has a high calling. And I want to talk about marriage just for a second just because, you know, I'm one of the, I'm a a marriage and family therapist. So we find in, in scripture that marriage has a high calling. What scripture says is that in marriage, you model the relationship between Christ and the church. It's such a higher calling than just being in love. It's such a higher calling than just reproducing it 's modeling the relationship between what Christ and the church is like, so in my line of work, uh, I have a lot of deep, honest talks with, uh, with men and with with couples, uh, and here I am just trying to get to know them and knowing what makes them tick and uh, as we talk, it, eventually their true values come out and honestly, uh, sometimes it 's really embarrassing for these men and women, because they, they, they try so hard to uh, to hide their true values. But it just can't help but coming out sometimes. And what they realize is that a lot of times, these couples, uh, their understanding of marriage is more culturally driven than spiritually driven. Um, what do I mean by that? Sometimes these couples, they find that um, one or both spouses would find that uh, uh, their marriage is, 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 is meant to try to satisfy their parents' whims. Right? Whatever their parents want, they do that to satisfy the parents, and that's what their marriage is based upon. Or, maybe uh, they, they, uh, they try to get married to, to prove to themselves that they are lovable, to prove to themselves that, they are, that, they're, that they're worth something. Right? And so, here they are, you know, I finally made it in life, I'm married. And then, you know, um, a lot of things happen in in marriage because, you know, two sinners get together and um, it gets nasty sometimes. What happens though is if you hang on to these cultural values, um, if one of those cultural values gets threatened, such as, oh, my parents aren't getting satisfied by you anymore. If it gets threatened, then one spouse is going to start getting controlling of the other person. You better get in line with this value of mine, why? Because this is what, this is what marriage is all about, is to satisfy my parents. Or it's to make me feel like I am something. So the whole notion of the marriage being a, 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 a mirror, a, a model of Christ in the church gets completely lost as they allow their cultural definitions of marriage dominate. We, I see it all the time. And uh, I, I help talk them through um, these sorts of issues that uh, you know we can all be on the same page. And sometimes these couples have amazing aha moments. That's when they realize that their marriage has spiritual dimensions, spiritual de- uh, components that they never realized before. Um, and then when they do realize this high calling of marriage, uh, they see their marriage as something very precious to protect. And so they grieve about how they sin against their spouse. Again, if if you have the cultural definition of, you got to satisfy my parents, they're not going to grieve that their spouse is unhappy. They're going to be like, no, you better grieve. You better be unhappy because you're not doing what my parents want. But if you have a spiritual dimension to it, you are grieving that you are hurting your spouse. Very, very different. So in like manner, when we get to know Christ, when we abide in him, we understand where he's coming from, what his perspective is, and reducing sin is not just about trying to make God happy or trying to, uh, you know, get onto his good side, but rather it's, wow, I really understand, Jesus, how you view sin. And because I love you, I also want to agree with you that these things, These sins that I'm committing are not a good thing. I really am hurting other people, and I really must do everything that I can, like an athlete would train her body. I must do everything that I can to shed that sin so that I don't keep on hurting people as I'm being illuminated by what you are saying to me. Okay? Um, So again, if our recurring sins are paid for in full, is it okay to keep on sinning? The answer, no, quite the opposite. When we abide in Christ, we see more clearly what sin is, what sin does, and we train our bodies, we train our souls, our hearts, our minds, so that we do not sin anymore. Okay, next FAQ. How do I fight recurring sin? How do I fight recurring sin? Answer, I think we start by abiding in Christ, like I just said but then we use every resource available to us. Use every, uh, every resource available to us. Um, when I was young, I was taught that uh, good Christians read their Bible, and uh, so for me, reading the Bible was a way for me to be a good Christian, being a good person. And, I, you know, admittedly, I still catch myself feeling that way sometimes. But, you know, I think this motivation is a little bit misguided. Um, I think the better motivation to read the Bible is to know who this God is. That really ought to be our higher motivation in reading, reading the Word, is to know who this God is. It's not my attempt to be good, but how do I know this good God? What is his mercy towards me like today? What promises can I be reminded of today? What will happen to this body that I hate? What will happen to this body that I love too much? What will happen to all my treasures? What kind of destruction does my sin cause to other people? So you start by abiding in Christ, you know him better through his word, you talk to him in prayer, and you start thinking outside the box. Now scripture does give us some head start, some foundational pieces as to how to tackle sin, things such as praying and fasting and uh, um, things of that nature, worshiping. However, I don't think we ought to limit ourselves to these foundational pieces. I think we can think even more outside the box and I'm gonna present a few to you that maybe you have not really considered uh, for whatever reason, but I'm I, I'm hoping that one of these um, one of these methods of thinking outside the box could stick with you, so that you can really fight sin in the way that you really want to fight sin. A lot of people find strength in community. You know, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse twelve says, uh, "A cord of three strands is not easily broken," and as we kind of uh, jump upon that thought. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, confessing sins to other people can be a really, really scary thing. But I would say this even as the Bible encourages us to confess our sins to, to one another, I don't think the Bible is saying to us, confess your sins to unsafe people. And what do I mean by unsafe people? I mean, don't confess sins to people who are going to gossip about it. Don't confess, don't confess sins to people who are going to judge you and to think bad things about you. Don't confess sins to people who are going to have like a nothing reaction towards you. Um, I, I'm betting, I'm guessing that uh, some or maybe many of you have been burned one, once or maybe more times in your past when it comes to maybe revealing a, a, a sensitive thing to another person in the church, and it was not met in the way that you really hoped for. It wasn't met in a healing way. You were, you were burned, maybe you were, you were gossiped against, uh, whatever it might be, and you know, I tell you, I, I, I've been there too. Uh, I'll sh- share with you a short story. Um, during my internship for my MFT degree, I went up north to the Bay Area, and I started, uh, well, after some time of deliberation, I decided to go to church. I was in a really rough place, and I didn't want to go to church for a long time, but I decided decided to risk it, and I went to this one church, and uh, they had a small group, uh, a men's small group, and so I went to this home, and this church had about six men in it. And we ate, and then we went to the family room. And the facilitator, he, uh, you know, he wanted to ask for an update on how our weeks went. So some guys were talking about the stress that they were feeling at work. And this one guy, he says, one of my best friends died five days ago. And I'm still really shooken up about it. There was silence, some awkward coughing. <clears throat> People were picking their scabs, just didn't really know what to say. And I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, no one's gonna say anything. So I was the new guy, they all knew each other. I was the new guy and I said, oh my gosh, I, I'm so I'm so sorry for your loss. I, are you doing okay? And you know, he looked up at me and eyes kind of watery. He's like, I'm hanging in there. Thank you. And it was just kind of silent again. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, are we going in a circle here? Like do I have to share next and get this kind of reaction? So I was thinking, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I, should I share something, should I not share something? And it came to my turn, and I said, oh, all right, what the heck. Um, but I didn't want to go too much in depth because I didn't want to get burned. So I said, yeah, you know, I went through some traumatic experiences recently, and it's been a real tough journey these past six months. And yeah, it's, it's, it's tough going, I'm, I'm not coping too well. Silence, coughing, and the facilitator says, <clears throat> yeah, we don't do that kind of stuff in our small group, but our church has a counseling center that you know, we can refer you to. I just wanted to go home. I never wanted to return. I don't know whether any of you can relate to a story like that, maybe some of you can, but if that happened to you, I'm so, so sorry for what happened to you because that's awful. That's not how our confessing of sins and our confessing of struggles ought to be met by another, especially by another fellow believer. In fact, maybe sometimes non-believers will have a better reaction than that. But if that's what happened to you, I'm so, so sorry, but what a difference between that group that I went to up in the Bay Area and my Pasadena small group here at CCSC. It's, it's just night and day difference. In our, in our, in our small group, we, we really do share about things that we're struggling with. We confess our sins to one another. It is, um, it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful thing and I hope that's, that's what's happening in your small group as well. But what if you don't have safe friends? What if you are here at church and you don't have those type of small group? What if you don't have that one go-to person to talk to you about your sins? What if you don't have that? And I'm guessing maybe some of you don't, don't have that. Well, this is another outside the box thinking. Um, CCFC has care counselors who have willingly volunteered themselves to be that person to hear what you're going through and to care for you. Do they have professional training? No, but they are, their hearts are geared towards really wanting to hear you out and walk alongside of you. Now, if what you're going through might need something beyond the scope of a care counselor, maybe another outside of the box thinking is going to see a counselor, Was it for your marriage, whether it's for your personal issues, whether it's between you and your family, whatever it is. But again, if you are abiding in Christ and you're really thinking about how he views sin, and so far your prayers have been ineffective, your reading of scripture has been ineffective, this particular sin just keeps on recurring, maybe it might be an option for you to think outside the box and see, Could there be something that I can use to augment this foundational uh, pattern of of living my spiritual life in order to do something that I can train my body like an athlete would train her body so I would not be hindered in running the race? That is my challenge to you. It's a tough challenge though because, you know, you think people hate going to the dentist? People hate going to me. (laughs) They hate going to me. Why? A lot of times it comes because of their parents' teachings. Their parents say, you know, if their parents ever find out that, 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 that their son or, son or daughter is going to counseling, oh no, my son is crazy, right? <laughs> oh, my daughter is crazy, oh no, and they can never say that to another person in their, in, their, in their church. It's nonsense. That's the old way of thinking. The new way of thinking is Christ has taken our shame away. And you're not crazy for, for, for going to a counselor. You're a sinner like me who just needs help in training your body like an athlete would train her body. That's the new way of thinking. And if you do end up going to a counselor, a care counselor or a professional counselor, I'm the first one to tell you I'm so proud of you. I think the pastors and the staff here will be the first person to tell you we're so proud of you. And I think the Lord and his angels would say we rejoice that you are doing something to train yourself, to rid yourself of recurring sins, that nothing hinders you from running the race. Perhaps you are recurrently sinning, and maybe you do have a backstory. I don't know what that backstory might be, Maybe your backstory is similar to mine. I, I shared my story of grace uh, here at CCSC, and I also also shared my, my testimony on, on my podcast. But yeah, maybe you are in that situation where you're currently, recurrently sinning. Or maybe you even haven't encountered Jesus yet. No matter the case, you're not alone. You are in the company of friends who love you, albeit imperfectly. We can't love you the way God loves you, but still, we, we do love you. And we don't want you to feel like you are alone in this battle. And maybe perhaps you can encounter Christ today. Maybe you can abide in Christ today. That your way of dealing with sin can take on a new hue that you never experienced before really thinking outside the box. Why? Because you agree with Christ that sin is something that's very destructive to other people and to yourself. I pray that might be the case for you. Remember, stopping your recurrent sin will not save you. Only Christ and his imputation will save you. And once you abide in him, you will have power And you will have motivation to train your body like an athlete trains her body to run the race and finish it.